stand-up historian. Those who tell stories rule society. Hello and welcome to Stand Up Historian. It's Tuesday again. It Tuesdays are coming so fast. I can't believe that. And Vic is here and she is going to read the book for us. Hello, Vic. Hello, hello, everyone. We had a very good number of people listening to our last episode. Yay. Very good, yeah, because it's a subject of the day. It's something that everybody deals with that in one way or another. So on, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to the rest of that book. Oh, there's a whole lot more to get to. Yeah, we're still in. Uh, yeah, we're still in chapter seven, and I stopped at uh, genetically modified organisms. Yes. So. Shall I start reading or? I just want to invite, yep. uh, you know, everybody that's listening to this podcast to please visit uh, Vic's website, which is cosmic-observation.com. And it has a wealth of information, a lot of videos about Chris Thomas, all in one place. All in one place. That's a great place to to a start if you are interested in trying to get more information from there they can contact you right Vic oh yes absolutely okay. yeah thank you for the plug in fact today's post is um I posted one of uh Chris Thomas's uh, 15 page mini book yeah it was he put that out um it was released by the the spirit uk and I think one of my global members also released it, and it was around um, August of 2011. But yeah, it's a 15-page mini book, so that will be the that's my newest post on the blog side. And then, of course, the landing page is going to have the 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 whole library of, of everything that I have of his. Yes. So that's yes, great. visit my site, please. Okay. Okay. We are on page 179 for everyone who wants to follow if. Every, if there's anybody out there listening that has uh, the um, Project Human Extinction book, I know some of the global members had asked me to give them page numbers and, and chapters and stuff like that so they could follow along if they wanted Good. to. So, mm -hmm. yes, Chapter 7, uh, 179, Genetically Modified Organisms. Here we go. Again, this is a vast subject about which many, many books have been written, most of which have either been banned or their means of circulation limited. The media also seems to ignore the subject with very few articles reaching newspapers and magazines, especially if the article is not complementary to the GMOs. The reason for this media drought is that the whole subject of GMOs is financed and controlled by one of the wealthiest and most powerful families in America, the Rockefeller family through the Rockefeller Foundation. The easiest way to understand what the problems with GMOs are is to look at its history and the aims of the GMO companies. This concept of genetic modification has its roots in the early part of the 1900s. It could be argued that it goes much further back than that, but with the beginnings of the 1900s, we have a definite organization which pulls together many views and ideals and becomes the eugenics movement. Ultimately. The concepts behind eugenics are to build a perfect human being by enforced breeding between desirable individuals, whilst at the same time removing, by any means possible, those who are considered less than perfect. The definition of a perfect human being is fulfilled by white and blonde. <laughs> It's funny to read this again, you know, with all of this white supremacy and people screaming at each other over it. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah. The definition of a non-desirable human being seems to have been virtually anyone else, especially those with a black skin. But how did this concept arise? 
If we look at the variety of human body forms and appearances, we find everything from the shortest person at around 80 centimeters, which is 2 feet 6 inches, to the tallest at about 2.8 meters, which is 9 feet, with a large variety in between. Physical appearances range from a black skin to a very pale white, with hair color ranging from black to a white blonde. So how or why did the concept of a tall white blonde become the model for the perfect human being? Let us stop there for a moment and think back to the last chapter. It is known from numerous eyewitness accounts that a number of alien beings live in the secret military base air to Area 51. These eyewitnesses describe the appearance of these aliens as tall white Nordics. The Akashic lists this description as being a disguise used by the Velon to hide their true origin and purpose. The story, the Velon, the Anunnaki, tried to spread by traveling back in time refers to the Velon building by genetic engineering, the Adamu, the first humans who are short and dark. By presenting themselves as the tall white Nordics, they are saying that the makers of humanity appear in that form, and that is the ideal appearance that humans should strive for, achieve a godlike appearance. So there you have it, folks. Everybody wanting to be tall, white, and blonde comes from a semi-physical race that doesn't belong to this planet. So in one part, he said, Veyline used this template to hide some of their people among us. What was that about? Oh, no. The story that the Velon told of how yes. humans are on the planet, that crazy story that they told, that they're, they're the gods and we are their children and all that stuff. Yes. The, the Adamu is taken from, of course, biblical Adam. But the Adamu that they refer to, their story that hey, they've spread all over the place is that the Adamu were their creations and that they were short and brown people, uh-huh. short and dark. So that's what they created were the short and dark. And that those that wish to be like their gods want to be tall, white, and blonde. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah that was them trying to make us their god, you know, worship them as gods. So let's see. By presenting themselves as the tall white Nordics, they are saying that the makers of humanity appear in that form, and that is the ideal appearance that humans should strive for, achieve a godlike appearance. After all, the Anunnaki Velon story, which Zachariah Sitchin insists is the basis for the Old Testament, states that man is made in God's image. The short, dark peoples are created by the gods to be a slave race, and therefore not a desirable appearance or body form, one to be avoided and destroyed at all costs, whereas the tall, white Scandinavian appearance is as close to their gods as humans can achieve, and the legacy of the Anunnaki gods mating with human women before and after the flood, this is the story of eugenics. So try to digest for that, that for a minute, that the entire eugenics movement is based upon the lies of a semi-physical race that took over the Illuminati in 1776. There's your eugenics movement. It is. But I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So when when we read about um, Spaniards uh, coming to America, the continent, landing in the shores of America, and native people, they see them and instantly they say, oh, these are our gods because in their history, in their literature, in their background, they knew that, they were told that uh, your god will be here, blue eyes, blonde hair. What is that about? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you're talking about the, the Native North Americans. Uh, in fact, first they, they arrived in South America. Right? When they first 
confronted the natives, not necessarily North America. The natives, they saw them and said, oh, these are gods. They're tall, just like we expect our gods based on our beliefs that they they are going to have blonde hair, blue eyes, tall and white skin or pale skin compared to themselves, which were brown skins or olive skin or whatever the color of the skin is. So they accepted them as their gods. My point is this form as being tall, blonde, blue eyes was among many nations and they expected their gods to look like that. Prophet, was there some kind of prophecy that they were expecting them yes. to show up? Yes. Yeah, they, they talk about, you know, Incas and Aztecs when they, for the first time, saw a white man taller than them, the color of the skin is different, face is different. They say, oh, these are gods. This was their first impression based on their mythology, based on uh, their history or religious beliefs, whatever was oh, the background okay, yeah. for that. Okay, okay. Now I'm think I think I'm making a connection to something here. Um Inca, of course Inca is South American, Aztec I think is Mexico. And then yeah. there's the old the Olmecs. I think the Olmecs predate the, the Aztecs. Um some of the history that was probably passed down through these people some of the information that came down through their their years came there were um some of the the some of the Atlanteans there were some the Atlanteans that did a, a lot of crazy experimentations that over thousands of years of the i guess verbal stories that was passed along through families down through the ages that some of the gods that they saw or encountered were Atlantean refugees that had been experimenting on themselves and they, yes. they looked yes. pretty strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a, uh, how do I pronounce this? Quetzalcoatl? Quetzalcoatl? Yeah, Quetzalcoatl. Uh, yeah. The one mm-hmm. that had um, he was he had uh, diamondback skin. He was he was Atlantean. He had done a whole bunch of experimentation on himself. And there's something about the the different drawings of some of the strange looking um, people, strange looking creatures, whatever. That's 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 filtering out from memories of Atlantis and then passed down verbally through families. And maybe once your white Europeans rolled up on the shores of things, the the history that had been told verbally through the families, they oh gods because exactly this tall, makes sense white mm-hmm. blonde and everything. But yeah, a lot of that's got to do with being tied to the to the the um, experimentation on Atlantis. That's that's the best thing that I can come up with because I know Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatl, mm. butchering that word too. Quetzalcoatl, yeah, he was um, he was definitely Atlantean and had done a lot of experimentation. So that's that's about the only connection that I can make as far as them looking at the you know dark skinned people looking at the blue eyed blonde hair showing up on their shores, going, oh, the gods is is the memory. And also too, uh, one things I'm one of the things I may not have pointed out is a large portion of the experimentation that took place on Atlantis was done by semi-physicals. Most most of the experimentation were the semi-physicals. Those of us that are non-physical races, when we arrived on Atlantis and took on the human, uh, human template, for whatever reason, I'm not exactly sure, but... Apparently, the non-physicals didn't do nearly as much experimentation as the semi-physicals did. So there you have it. Yeah. That's also one of the books that I have been reading about. So. 
just to make that yeah. point clear, uh, Incas, they they mistook Spaniards for the returning god Viracocha. Mm. So they thought oh. it's Viracocha. And there are other stories that says after uh, Atlantis was um, sunk, some of the people they survived, they had this physical appearance, tall, white skin, blue eyes, brown, uh, blonde hair, and they came to this part of the world, to Americas, and with one ship, and they lived among these people, and they said, I will come back when, however they left. So they, they had something in their background, which it makes sense. When you mention Atlantis, it does make sense that it's a history from, or, or a memory from Atlantis. That's where I'm going with it. I think it makes sense. Then, of course, there's going back thousands of years of, of native peoples. And like uh, the Native Americans in North America, the native peoples like the, the, the Celts and the Druids the, up in uh, the UK area. Um, you also have to keep in mind that those people had a whole lot more soul energy than we did. They knew a lot more than we knew. I mean, yes. I've already read in this book about how um, it was stated that um, the Celtics had information before the Greeks did. Like the use of telescopes and stuff like that. That's already been stated in this book. Yeah. So, I mean, ancient peoples, a lot of those, they, they were far advanced than what we are now. <laughs> no Sadly. question about it. And all that we see today is the narrative by uh, Zachariah Ch Sachin and um, uh, Eric Eric uh, von Daniken. The narrative that says people from other planets they came here, they built everything, and they left. Right. <laughs> Which you can't prove it, and you can't disprove it if you want to use their techniques, but when Chris Thomas material comes in, it tells you that, no, we had a civilization way <laughs> before all of these things, and this is the true story. Nobody came from another planet to build the pyramids. We built that. We built and, them, yeah. And, and this, is, this is very, very important. It gives credits to humanity and not just some kind of, uh, you know, species evolved from monkeys and all of a sudden those guys up there they said oh let's build a pyramid for them let's align it with this stars and now we can't even figure out what's going on uh, i definitely prefer the way that chris explains it and it makes sense it completely fills the blank compared to ancient alien theory well, you know, everybody likes to be on television and everybody likes to be special and everybody likes to make money. So there you have it. Everybody wants to be somebody. As soon as it becomes mainstream, you have to know that, okay, what's the agenda here? You know, why, yeah, why you have 16, 17 seasons of Ancient Alien on History Channel? I cannot watch that show because every time that thing is on, the only thing I wind up doing is shouting at the television set. I got liar, liar, pants on fire. You people don't even know what you're talking about. I just can't do it. I have to change the channel or I'll start screaming at the TV set. But the idea has been sold to many people. And because for, for some groups, it's a way out to dismiss a creator. They like it. Well, Everybody has a different agenda. And when they look at this, they say, okay, we can bash religion with this. We can do this. We can even call Jesus an alien, right? Jesus was an alien. He was, you know, his birth was not a miracle. Aliens did this or stuff like that. So there are benefits for different groups to believe in this theory. Well, you have uh, people that are standing in line and, they want to sell books and they want to make money and apparently can't hold down a normal job. So <laughs> they, <laughs> take, they take what they can get and yeah. get on television. 
Okay. The short, dark peoples were created by the gods and to be a slave race and therefore not a desirable appearance or body form, one to be avoided and destroyed at all costs. Whereas the tall, white Scandinavian appearance is as close to their gods as humans can achieve. The legacy of the Anunnaki gods mating with human women before and after the flood. This is the origin of eugenics. And also keep in mind, too, that the them mating with uh, human women never happened. <laughs> okay. The sem- semi-physicals cannot mate with humans. It just, it's, it's physically impossible. So just wipe that out of your mind if anybody rolls that around and thinks about it. Most Western countries formed eugenic societies with the most powerful being the Eugenic Society of America. This society was formed and funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, with their headquarters being a purpose-built building on Long Island, New York. In parentheses, he's got, incidentally, this was the same building used as the headquarters for the recently completed Human Genome Project. I find that interesting, too. The Rockefeller Foundation also financed eugenic research in many countries, particularly Germany, where clinics run by Kaiser Wilhelm Institute were already at work. The Rockefeller funding to Germany amounted to several million dollars between the 1920s and the 1930s, a vast sum in those years. When Hitler came to power, He supported the eugenics ideals and adopted them into his Third Reich. It was only when the concentration camps were discovered by the Allies and the medical atrocities that were carried out there that the Rockefeller Foundation distanced themselves from the German clinics and research. At the end of the Second Second World War, the concepts and ideals of eugenics in the Aryan master race were indelibly linked to Nazi Germany. And so the eugenics movement changed their name and ideals to genetics and the research of human genes and the funding supplied by the Rockefeller Foundation was switched to genetic manipulation. So there is the ground level work right there with the vaccination mess that we're dealing with right now. Yes. And also, too, in a referral to the earlier part of our conversation, we, I was uh, telling you about not only was the, the atrocities taking place in the concentration camps, but I also had mentioned um, Unit 731 that the Japanese were experimenting on the Chinese. So that's uh-huh. a little footnote. That's a little footnote, too, there for the audience. It must be stressed that the ultimate aim of GMO research and experiments is to achieve the ability to breed a master race of humans. But because the world had no stomach for genetic research to fulfill this ideal, Following the Nazi concentration camps, it was decided to build up genetic manipulation skills by starting with lower forms of life, vegetables. As GM techniques began to develop, pressure was placed on the American administration to deregulate farming techniques. Since the Reagan administration, successive U.S. presidents have fulfilled the Rockefeller Rockefeller Foundation requests and now there are literally no checks on what GM industry plans. The GM companies are now self-regulating on their experiments and the crops they plant. All of the American regulating bodies have had their control over GM companies, company activities removed. The FDA, Food and Drug Administration, EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, etc., do not have any control over GM crops. In other words, the GM companies can plant whatever they like, whenever they like, wherever they like, without any U.S. government control. All of these GMO crops are planted to find out what happens when they grow. The GM companies have only limited knowledge of how the crop will turn out or what impact these crops will have on the environment, or indeed what happens when animals or humans eat the crops. George H.W. Bush, when he was president of the USA, ruled that GM crops were substantially similar to the crops that had been modified, and so there were no requirements for labeling of foods containing GMOs. It is an interesting point that despite this ruling, in order to receive a patent, the GM companies have to prove that their new crops were substantially different to those which naturally occur in order for a patent to be granted, a fact which has been totally ignored. 
Yeah. See, that's the thing about it. You can't patent nature. You can only you patent something mm -hmm. that you create. So George H.W. Bush lied to everybody saying they were substantially similar when patent notices make that completely wrong. Yeah. Nor is there any knowledge of what happens to the soil when the crops are planted. There is nothing about GM crops that is safe for any other organism on the planet, and any attempts by scientists to point out problems as they are found are belittled by the press and fellow scientists sacked for their jobs. Sounds very similar to the doctors that have spoken out about these vaccines getting sacked as well. Exactly. The power of GMO companies is absolute, and very few people seem to be able to do anything to stop them. They were also supported by the British government of Tony Blair, who supported and endorsed GMOs as being the leading edge of science, which Britain must support and take a lead in. However, following the revelations about how GM foods cause huge problems and health risks, this was the GM potato mixed with snowdrop genes. Tony Blair set up the Biotechnology and Biological Science Research Council, which is BBSRC, to monitor the employees of companies or universities carrying out GM research. If any employee blew the whistle on GM, they could face dismissal, be sued for breach of contract, or face a court injunction. Is it any wonder that we have heard so little from scientists or the press about the adverse side effects of these so-called science? <coughs> I remember getting involved with this myself, doing a bunch of research on this GM stuff. And I remember there was an organization for organics or something like that. Anyway, there was a whole group of people that welled up over this and started fighting. And that's when they wound up with the the the, the non G the verification of the non GMO project that yes. you see on labels on all the food these days. I remember the the groundbreaking work that they did and the, the uh, and all of the the trouble they went through to try to push through Congress to get the all of these genetic crops labeled so that people knew what they were eating. It was a wonderful effort. Definitely. <laughs> So you see, if people want to achieve something, we can do that. We can force them to do what we want. That that was a good example. Yeah, if they're not uh, being too busy staring at a television set or <laughs> uh, listening media. to the yeah social media, because there wasn't there when the when the genetically modified thing when they started fighting back against that, we weren't really up to our eyeballs in social media back then like we are now. So there was a lot more that got done on the, the ground ground roots level. Yeah, that's a good point. The thing is, one might say you can use social media to start this type of grassroots movements. But the issue is uh, the powers of time. Now they can censor you. They can shut you down and nobody can hear you. And because this generation doesn't know you can go outside and make yourself heard by the by the people sitting in a position of power, they only are what they call them keyboard warriors. That that's what makes it hard these days. Yeah, it does. And I can remember years ago, before the social media thing was so big that a lot of people just did email round robins. Everybody was emailing something to somebody else, and the the groups were getting together and doing stuff like that because they're just there just really wasn't that much social media back then um i think blogger was brand new and typepad was new so there were some blogs out there and um some people were building uh really really basic websites yeah and somehow or another people were getting the information out that way so yeah it was it was it was kind of a struggle there with without all the social media now luckily there are certain pieces of social media that have um diverted from the mainstream like facebook and twitter and all of those and you've got gab you've got telegram you've telegram. got truth social mm -hmm. getter to some degree i mean there there's been a bifurcation because there are so many people that don't like being 
told what they can and can't say and being thrown off. And so naturally you're going to have those that pick up the ball and run with it in a different direction. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of a nice thing. Yeah, exactly. Let's see. The GMO crops can also be used to grow medicines. Genes can be added to boost a particular vitamin or indeed to put vitamins into crops that did not originally contain them. This can sound like a good idea, at least if you read the GM company's propaganda about the idea. The problem is that the genetic modifications do not stop at medicines and vitamins. There is a variety of GM corn, maize, that contains contraceptives. And I had forgotten all about that. That's really scary. Can you imagine your corn being oh a contraceptive? Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The corn has been engineered to contain genes from a rare condition called immune infertility. Okay, here we go. This is something that I had completely forgotten about when I read the book years ago. So they have moved from trying to make everybody infertile with GM crops to now trying to make everybody infertile with vaccines. They just won't stop. Mm. They won't. Eating this corn or products made from it prevents women from becoming pregnant, but they can also kill sperm in men, rendering them infertile. It was presented as a contribution to help overcome the world's overcrowding. This GM corn was placed on the top secret list by the American military, and there has been no further news of it or if it has been planted since the initial announcement in September of 2001. I wouldn't be eating corn right now. Every time that a GMO crop is planted, it is an experiment. The consequences of the crop growing are largely unknown, and the consequences to the environment through pollen and the agribusiness used as gene transfer vectors have no known controls and no known outcome. The other big problem is that the number of acres planted with GMO is growing at a rapid rate, sometimes without anyone knowing that GMOs are being planted near to them or sometimes with the full U.S. government approval. Now, keep in mind as I read this, all of this was written by him in 2009, and here we are in 2022. Wow, 13 years later. For example, in Iraq, the new constitution for that country, written by the U.S. government, contains 100 laws. One of those laws was written by the GM companies to give them exclusive planting rights in Iraq. In other words, effectively, no seed can be planted in Iraq unless it is GM, and royalties must be paid to the company the GM seed was bought from. In addition, most of the crops approved for planting are not for the consumption of the Iraqis. They are for the export so that the GM companies can make greater profits while the Iraqi people go hungry and rely on having to buy food from the U.S. government, people they see as occupiers of their country. This also does tail into all of the reports I used to read about India. I can remember them giving GMO seed to the Indians and they were planting their fields and if there was a crop failure, a lot of these Indians were committing suicide. They couldn't plant, they couldn't get different seed, and everything just kind of imploded there for a while. I can't remember how many years here, how many years ago that was, but I remember reading about the, the mass suicides of the, the Indian farmers. Wow. It's pitiful. M- most of the above has been a summary of the book, Seeds of Destruction, The Hidden Agenda of Genetic Manipulation by F. William Engdahl. If you care anything about what you eat and how it is grown, we strongly suggest that you read this book. So there you go, folks. You've got a plug for Seeds of Destruction, The Hidden Agenda of Genetic Manipulation, and it's F. William Engdahl. That's E-N-G-D-A-H-L if anybody wants to look up that book. It's probably going to be some very frightening information because I remember digging into that years ago. So what happens when you eat GM crops? To be honest... There is very little information about this for two reasons. Firstly, many countries do not label food as containing GM ingredients, so it is difficult to assess how much an individual eats. It was only through public pressure in the EU that Britain has laws requiring that any GM ingredients to be listed on packets. 
Secondly, the GM companies have carried out very few studies into the safety of their products, and where studies do exist, the GM companies refuse to publish them. However, there is a new mystery illness that has appeared in the last few years called Morgellons disease, or Morgellons, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. And outbreaks of it tend to be clustered in areas where GM crops are grown and eaten. I think the Morgellons disease are the ones where we saw pictures where people were pulling fibers out of their skin. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. The symptoms vary, but the most common are sensations of things crawling and biting under the skin, usually very itchy and painful, growths emerging from their skin that resemble fibrous balls of cotton, black fibers moving under the skin, which can then break through the skin's surface. When analyzed, these fibers bear bear no resemblance to any natural or man-made fibers, but are cellulose-based, black specks on the skin with sometimes seed-like granules, mood swings, and mood disorders. Most common of all are difficulties with concentrations and short-term memory loss. We were talking earlier offline about the article from Natural News, where they were looking at the stuff that was being pulled out of the veins and arteries of the yes. bodies by the yes. embalmers. Yes, that sounds very similar to what very these people similar. were doing with yes. pulling them out of their skin from the genetically modified crops. So this this night this never-ending nightmare just continues on. Mm. The medical profession has been very slow in recognizing these symptoms as a specific disease as some of the symptoms are similar to Lyme disease. However, as research into these symptoms has continued, the one common factor amongst all the patients with these symptoms is that they all carry the same type of bacteria. The fibers have been analyzed to find that they contain DNA from both a fungus and a bacterium, which are used in GM crops. In order to transfer genetic material from one organism to another, a transfer vector is used. There have been many types of vectors used, ranging from bacteria to viruses, including AIDS, to find the most effective transfer mechanism. Did you happen to catch that? AIDS. AIDS. That a type of vector ranging from bacteria to viruses, including AIDS. AIDS. They used AIDS as a vector. And there are a lot of people that are coming up with vaccine-induced AIDS. Mm-hmm. They call it VAIDS, yeah. Wow. This is, nothing well, is new. They've yeah, nothing is, yeah, nothing is new under the sun. Time. Yeah. <laughs> First it was the food, now it's the vaccines. Mm. Whilst various sectors are still used by the different GM companies, the most commonly used is something called agrobacterium. And this is the type of bacterium common to all who have Morgellons disease. The reason for using agrobacterium in GM seeds is that once the bacterium has transferred the genes to the seed, the seeds are then treated with antibiotics to kill the bacterium off. However, this is a haphazard process, and many seeds are planted that are saturated with agrobacterium. What this means is that the seeds, the plant, the soil, the crop, and anyone or any animal that comes into contact with the plants or crops becomes contaminated with the agrobacterium. It is known from studies published by the Soil Association that the agrobacterium remains active in the soil for at least three years after the GM crop has been harvested. So many future crops planted in that soil, GM or otherwise, also becomes contaminated with the agrobacterium. Of course, it is not only humans who come into contact with or eat crops. It's in quotations. Recent studies on GE, genetically engineered cotton farming, have raised grave concerns about the safety of GE cotton, which is widely used in food as well as in clothing. In New Zealand, a preliminary report released in April of 2006 found that thousands of sheep died after grazing on land where GE cotton had been grown. The sheep and goats started dying after seven days of continuously grazing on tender leaves and pods of the BT cotton that remained in the fields after picking. In December of 2005, a three-month study 
was released, which found that workers picking GE cotton suffered severe skin reactions with itching and blistery eruptions, leaving a black skin discoloration, which was still apparent after five months. The British Medical Association has already signaled that GE products could present certain risks, including the creation of drug resistance and venereal disease as a result of women being exposed to GE constructs in personal hygiene products. Further, GE cotton crops have failed in regions of India, with many suicides resulting because of the debt accrued from the high cost of growing the cotton. This has prompted the Indian Genetic Engineering Approval Committee to concede after three years of commercial cultivation of Maiko Monsanto's MEC-183 BT, MEC-162 BT, and MEC-12 BT are a failure. That's the Indians, the crop failures that I was talking about yeah. earlier. We also heard hey. Monsanto in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is just the genetic modification. They're trying to do it to the animals. They're trying to do it to the food. They're mm -hmm. doing it with us and the vaccines. Yeah, they've been doing it for a long time. Look at different dogs, types of dogs that we have, that genetic modifications. And their fancy names like Labradoodles and things like that. Exactly. Mm. Uh, next section is the destruction of the bee population. Sheep and goats are not the only animals that come into contact with GM crops. Bees visit these crops in very large numbers. Bees are dying out in every country where GM crops are grown. The biggest loss of bees is in America, but Britain is also losing its bee population. The U.S. has lost 70% of all its colonies in two years. Losses in Britain have now reached 30% of its colonies, a year which is, a, which is five times the level of losses of 2003. The above report, based on the work of Professor, Professor Francis Ratnick, I guess is how you pronounce it, of Sussex University, went on to say that bee populations are badly affected by the emissions of mobile phone masts. But also, the main problem seems to be that hives are becoming dirty and therefore infested with parasites and bacteria. If we put this dirty hive information together with one of the main symptoms of Morgellons disease, memory loss, we have arrived at the following conclusion. The population of beehives are extremely structured. Each type of bee has a role to play in the hive's well-being. Each type of bee has the knowledge of their role within the hive imprinted into their memory by the type of food fed to them as they develop from pupae. One type of bee's role is to keep the hive clean. If on contact with the agrobacterium from GM hive crop, GM crops, these cleaner bees forget their job and the hive becomes dirty. Where the agrobacterium would thrive, the bacterium would have a similar effect on all of the other bees in the hive. Pollen-collecting bees also use their memories to remember where the hive is located in relation to the crop they are taking pollen from, which can be up to several miles away. It appears as though the collecting bees could forget where the hive is located and die on their return journeys. Bees, in collecting pollen to convert to honey, pollinate the plants they visit. All plants and trees needed to be pollinated to produce seed or fruit. If we continue to lose bees at the present rate, there will be no food for animals or humans to eat within 10 years as plants will not be able to grow. The GM companies have a vested interest in the death of bees as GM crops do not require pollination. This would mean that only food available on the planet would be plants and animal feeds grown by GM, the stated aim of the GM companies. Now, this was written in 2009, wow. so 10 years. So 10 years Every would word. be 2019. Wow. And at least his, you know, there will be no food for animals or humans to eat within 10 years as plants will not be able to grow. Um, we still do have an organic movement. That's one of the things that, that rose up out of the outcry of the genetically modified crops. Uh -huh. 
Yeah. So this being written in 2009, I mean, there was there was horror going on back then about what was going on. But there were enough people that rose up. In fact, where I live, I'm surrounded by a lot of farms that are uh, permaculture, uh, totally organic. Um, they have old fat, the, the old ways of, of raising animals and raising crops. And they do their level best to keep everything as clean as possible. Scaringly, though, within the county, there are probably some like soybean fields and, and genetically modified corn that are still being manufactured. But there has been enough of a pushback over the last decade or, or so where everybody wanted organic food and they, they wanted to, to stop this genetic modification yes. of the food. So there is there is some hope with that. And it seems too that as far as all of the, the cases of the Morgellons disease that was so prevalent so many years ago, some of that has um, kind of faded into the background. I'm quite sure there are still some people that have Morgellons, but at least it wasn't yeah. so many cases of it as it was back, back then a few years ago. Right now we're on page 187, and I was just seeing just how far Chapter 7 goes. You finished the bees? We, I finished with the bees. Yeah. The, the thing about bees is I remember there used to be a lot of news that shows how concerned, uh, you know, the government is about bees being disappeared, bees are dying, but it is stopped. That part of uh, what you read, it said they're not concerned about pollination because they don't need that. So bees are not important to them. And it's so arrogant because they think, okay, it doesn't matter if this species are gone, fine, we don't need them anymore. They don't know what other consequences this could have. Well, when all of this was going on and it was the big thing for everything to be planted uh, genetically modified, um, it was also an attempt to control the full food supply, which they're still trying to do. It no. was also an attempt to make as much money as possible because big agri is no different than big pharma. And then number three, they didn't need bees. They didn't need pollinators because their GM seeds didn't need to be pollinated. So they didn't care mm -hmm. about that. What they didn't count on was the pushback and the other people that went yes. out of their way to make uh, organic farms, permaculture farms. And then a whole bunch of people seem to have stepped forward to become beekeepers. Oh, yes. Because there, there is a whole lot of beekeepers that are in my state. And I don't think that they, I don't think that they, they, they thought they were going to get the pushback that they got, especially from the uh, Organic C Consumers Association, because there are a lot of people that banded together to push back against this. And there are still genetically modified crops out there, but of course. not to the extent that there, there were several years ago because of the pushback. And we're, thank goodness, witnessing the pushback with the vaccines now. Yes, we'd sure to see that, yeah. Uh, let's see. The next section is ca called Food Supply. You want to stop at food supply? Yep, I think this would be a good place to stop. Okay, food great. Food supply is a very good uh, conversation for next time because we see the breakdown of supply chain. We see the food supply is there is a shortage of food supply. The prices are going up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to uh, give it a complete episode and talk about it. I find it fascinating that everything that I have been covering in this book, as old as it is, mirroring everything that's taking place now. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. Chris, Tom Chris Thomas and his crystal ball. Now, yeah. he, was just a, he was just a brilliant researcher as well as a, a psychic healer and, and um, a Kashuk reader. He was also a brilliant scientist, and he knew yeah. how to do research. He knew exactly where to, to, where to find the information that he needed. Before you continue, I know we talked a lot, but I have to say this. Yeah. Um, I was talking to someone and I said, look, what do you see on the surface of the water? Is usually leaves that fall from the trees or twigs or something that is not worth any, that doesn't worth anything. 
if you want to find something real worthy, you have to go deep under the water and there, there are pearls in there. They're not on the surface. So what's on the surface and what you see, like diamonds, deepest uh, depths of the earth, you can find diamonds, not on the surface. So what you see on the surface and everybody else can see and pay attention to that, they are all distractions. And Chris Thomas is that diamond and rough. He's that that jewel that before I listened to that show and finding you and all, I had never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Once I started to, you know, talking to you, getting to know him better, reading a book and just understanding what he said, he's the diamond. He is that grand jewel that you can't find it on the surface. He will never be on the surface because he's he's too heavy. He's too precious. Everything else that you see, those are just seriously just a facade for something uh, not even deep enough to answer any questions if you challenge them. So Chris material are incredibly uh, valuable and they really are priceless. I like your analogy. I like that very much. I mean, in order for you to understand anything, what appears on the surface is not necessarily what's below. Exactly. You do have to, you do have to dig deeper. You have to dig. You have to want to dig. You have to want the Dive knowledge. in deep, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my journey to Chris's books and Chris's material and all of his information I mean, it was it was a bizarre. It's not like I woke up one day and go, aha, I'm going to look for Chris Thomas. No, (laughs) it was pulling on threads, pulling on tapestries, wanting more knowledge, needing to know what's Mm -hmm. really, really going on. You have to want to know the truth. Because everything else is a waste of time if you don't. Absolutely. I agree with you. And truth has its way of showing itself to you and it's completely satisfies you other things you say oh yeah and then you're not satisfied you're still searching then you ask yourself i thought i had the truth why am i searching because that was not the truth exactly if something doesn't make that sense you're going to continue to dig exactly exactly but once you find it you realize that aha uh-huh, this explains everything Okay. <laughs> yeah, even even Chris has stated in in uh, his uh, phone call interviews that if what I say resonates with you, that's good. If it doesn't, good luck to you. And I'm paraphrasing, but he's basically saying either you're going to accept what I'm telling you and it resonates with you or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you will go off and go look for whatever else it is that you're looking for and good luck to you. I mean, he had... He never took anything personally if anybody said, I don't believe this or I don't believe that or I think you're full of it. And he was just like, yeah, okay, fine, bye. (laughs) Exactly. And the other thing that makes him uh, legitimate is the fact that he did not pollute his knowledge with money. He never sold it for money. He lives in obscurity. And he was not a superstar or celebrity by any means. So that's another reason you understand that this man was truthfully a prophet. What little bit of celebrityism he got was just being contacted by all of these people that wanted to interview him. And that all that started in uh, 2010. And the interesting thing was, is that they wanted to talk to him. Because 2010, 2011, and 2012, we were getting to this solstice thing and yeah. the 2012 and the, the rumblings yeah. and yeah, Mayan calendars coming to an end and, oh, the earth is going to come to an end and everybody's going to die. And I mean, there was just so much chatter back then that it brought stuff to a head and it was in everybody's face. Everybody, I mean, even the mainstream media couldn't escape it, the the Mayan calendar thing. And that's when his little bit of celebrityism came from 20 from 2010 until 2013. 
And then after that, it pretty much stopped. Of course, he can no longer read the Akashic and that everything kind of came to a screeching halt sure. and we are left with what little bit he could glean out of it. But yeah, that was his only celebrity. And but he, he never really faked for- the information. He never lied. He he never came out and said, oh, I have new information. Start talking, gathering fans and going on social media and making, becoming an influencer or anything like that, that you see from people they claim to to be uh, activists or involved in finding truth. I'm not talking about necessarily scientists. There's a lot of people that they uh, sell their time for hundreds and thousands of dollars per hour just to come and talk. He never monetized that. He never did that. He could have. He chose Mm -hmm. not to because he knew he had the truth and he was saved. As the Christian would say that, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But when it came to his on-camera interviews, he's had two. One with Miles Johnston and one with Terje Tofton. I I butchered Mm -hmm. that poor man's name. Tofton is the the, the Norwegian. Yes. And And Terje was the first one that interviewed him, and this was like in June of 2009. It's a documentary. And I have a copy of that documentary. I actually contacted him in Norway and got the DVD. It's copyrighted material, and I do not put it on my site for that very reason. But if anybody wants to view it, they can contact me on my website, and I will provide a link for you to see it but you cannot share it. So I want to make that clear to anybody if they want to see mm-hmm. it. The others were on YouTube at one time. That was Miles Johnson. He was he did the, the Basis Project. And Chris Thomas's interviews with Miles Johnson were Basis 8. And I think all of that stuff's been wiped out. I think Miles Johnson got totally jerked off of um, YouTube. They, they've oh. taken down everything. So those were the only two times that he was interviewed on camera and they were basically inside of his house. Yeah, I've watched so, that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so between those two videos and him being interviewed on the phone, that was the extent of his celebrityism. He was not into making the rounds and talking no. on stages and having audiences. No. no, 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 no. He just wanted to get the information out, and he wanted to be left alone. Uh, he enjoyed his 30-plus year uh, psychic practice, but eventually had to shut it down. It, they, somebody somewhere hacked into his website and crashed it, and then he eventually had to stop healing people because he was under so much attack by the VLON that it could have killed somebody. He, had to, he literally had to uh, stop his practice because of that. Yeah. Amazing, man. Still an amazing man. Absolutely. Yeah. Here we go. We read the book as if you're listening to the news of the day. Exactly. This was written over a decade ago. I know. I know. It's it's, everything keeps repeating itself. Wow. Well, Vic, thank you very much for reading the book. This is getting... uh, very exciting because just like we talked about it right now, it's it. If you tell, if if you don't mention when the book was published, and just read it, somebody will tell. Oh, she's reading from a website. Is this the news of the day or what is this? This this book is uh, priceless. And thank you for sharing this information with our listeners. Well, thank you for wanting to hear it. Thank you to the audience for wanting to listen. Um, I guess we'll tackle some questions about some stuff that at some point. I can say that as I picked up the book and looked at it where my um, bookmark is, I can say at this point now, as thick as this book is, the bookmark is now right in the center. Oh, good. Okay. Halfway. Uh, Yeah, we are halfway through the book already. (laughs) Okay, that's great. So... Uh, until next week when Vic 
we'll be back here and continue reading about food supply. I wish you all great times. Be safe and take care of yourself. Everyone have a good night and a good night to you too, Karash. And Thank we'll you very talk much, next week. We talk soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye.